Welcome to Nutrition Without Compromise, a podcast brought to you by Orlo Nutrition. We believe that nutrition shouldn't be an either-or, that you should never have to sacrifice your morals for your health or that of our home planet. Join natural products veteran Karina Belizzi and experts from around the globe as they discuss healthy solutions that are better for you and better for the planet. Welcome to another interview episode of Nutrition Without Compromise. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi. We are in for a real treat today as we get to know the founder and CTO of Vaxa Technologies, Professor Isaac Berzin. He was named one of the 100 most influential people by Time Magazine for his work in sustainability and climate change. Isaac is an affiliated scientist at MIT, where he worked on a NASA-sponsored project developing bioreactors for the International Space Station. His innovative work in sustainable algae cultivation has won numerous awards, including the Frost and Sullivan Award, Platt's Global Energy Award, and the American Society of Competitiveness Award, an honor bestowed upon him three years in a row. And beyond that, before I knew Isaac... I knew of him. People I respected called him a rock star in the world of algae. And while he might dismiss the association, I think it holds true. You see, rarely do you find someone who is quite as brilliant with a scientific mind and who also can command attention on stage. He's demonstrated that ability with his own TED Talk, and he has inspired so very many who work in the algae space, myself included. Professor Isaac Berzin. Welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Thank you, Corina. I don't know that I've ever asked this, as we always just dig straight into algae science when we get a chance to connect. But I would love to know what first drew you to working with algae. Yeah, actually, I fell in love with algae during my years at MIT. I was cultivating microalgae for the International Space Station. And... uh, getting to know them and how amazing they are, it was clear to me how vital they are for our survival on this planet. Nevertheless, algae was not something you associated with something on your plate. Uh, Algae was not something associated with large-scale production of a sort. So I thought, what a wonderful challenge. Uh, You know, people usually say that the oceans are the lungs of this planet, right? Well, the reason they are the lungs of the planet is they're full of microalgae. That's why. And I have to tell you, after you know, I started with no white hair and hopefully some wisdom accumulated with the white hair and uh, my love and appreciation for algae only, only grew during those years. Well, I have to tell you, I had the pleasure of going on a sail in the Santa Cruz Bay earlier this week for a friend's birthday. And, you know, one of the first things that she said as we got out to sea was, gosh, I just love this smell, that fresh sea air smell. And a lot of that comes from the seaweed, the microalgae, the life that is so abundant here in the Monterey Bay area. And I think people automatically, when they think of algae, if they haven't been apprised of all the different species of algae, of the fact that even seaweed is a macroalgae, that we get half of our oxygen or even more of our oxygen, specifically from the algae growing around the planet, that they they really just 
don't kind of build that association. They think more of it as the fish tanks that they might have at home and having to clean it for the algae. It's true. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Algae, they just don't have a good PR agency. So I'll give you an example. If you if you grab a semi-intelligent people, okay, in the mall, let's say, and ask them, tell me, where does omega-3 come from? They're going to tell you the fish. It's coming from the fish. And then when you ask them what's producing oxygen on the planet, they're going to tell you the rainforest in Brazil. Yeah, the trees. And then uh, you again ask them, what's petroleum? The thing we found in the ground. They're going to say, oh, that well, used to be dinosaurs. Well, well, the answer to all these questions is mainly algae. Mainly algae produce oxygen. Algaes are the natural source of omega-3. And petroleum is actually ancient algae. So they're so vital to our life on this planet, but no one knows it's going to be top secret. So, so I'm happy we're having this talk, Karina. We're going to promote algae. <laughs> well, to make it cool, like the rock star that you are, because ultimately, as we think about these algae strains too, one of the things I hearken back to and that I find just so fascinating about algae is that really we're talking about the start of life on this planet. The first microalgae existed billions of years ago, just as life was beginning to emerge. And so without these building blocks, we wouldn't have life on this planet the way we do today. So even thinking about algae as potentially a part of the solution for climate collapse, honestly, it, it feels like a natural thing, like something we should look to. So I wanted to dig in a little bit into the work that you're doing to grow algae for human and animal nutrition from aquaculture and beyond, what do you find most exciting these days about working with algae? I would say two, two things. One is the way I look at it, it's, it's a perfect platform from impact nutrition, and I will elaborate in a minute what I mean. And the second thing is it's kind of an evolutionary step that, that we are in the middle of taking. I'll explain both. Okay, so the the reason I think it's a it's it's such a, a wonderful platform for for impact nutrition is think about the food we eat. Everything we eat is light associated. I will explain. Okay, of course when you eat the lettuce came from photosynthesis, that's easy. But when you eat your steak, how come it's connected to the light? Well, the cow ate the grass that was grown because of photosynthesis, right? So photosynthesis and light is a key. And we as humans, we just kind of tailored kind of photosynthesis to create things or foods. We call it agriculture. But if you think about this agriculture, you, you take all this light, you take fertilizers, you take fresh water, all these things, and you cultivate biomass. Okay, now here's a question, Corina. Let's say corn or soybean. What percentage of the biomass, biomass is the roots, the stems, the leaves, the bean, everything included, okay? What percentage of the biomass you're actually eating? And the answer is single digit. It's crazy. So you invested all these efforts, all this light, and you're actually throwing to the garbage. You mostly grow garbage, okay? So, so in a way, we live like pigs, okay? It, nevertheless, if you look at microalgae, it's a basket of complete nutrition. There's no waste in algae. Yeah, let's talk about this for a moment because I think most people might not understand. You're talking about the growth of a plant. You're talking about its root system. You're talking about its cellulose. You're talking the cellulose that doesn't give you any nutritional real value in the end. It doesn't give you calories that you need. Yeah. So think about the corn. What do you eat from the core plant? Only the green stuff, right? The, the yellow stuff, right? That's the only thing you... But think about all the green matter. The seeds, only the seeds. So all this 
green matter and the, and the cup itself and everything else is waste in a way. What an inefficient way to cultivate food. What, what a wasteful way to cultivate food. It was only uh, affordable because we had a lot of land and a lot of water and not a lot of people. And love subsidies, yeah. So, so if you think about efficiency and and using natural resources in an efficient way, algae present a, quite an interesting option, especially because they also produce things that are they are the prime producers of. For example, essential amino acids. Essential meaning your body cannot produce it. You have to get it from an external source. Essential uh, fatty acids like omega-3s, uh, vitamins and minerals, which, which are highly bioavailable, they're all produced by algae. They're accumulated up the food chain. Okay, That's where we usually get it from. But the original, the organism that made the molecule is the algae. So I think that's why it's a wonderful platform for impact nutrition. And the second point I made was uh, it's like an evolutionary step. So think about us, you know, thousands of years ago, we were all hunter-gatherers, and then we made an evolutionary step into farming, right? Which brought a lot of uh, confidence in the, in the food chain, et cetera, et cetera. So I have a question. What are we in terms of omega-3? We're mostly still stuck in the hunter-gatherers, right? We, we hunt the fish, and then we squeeze the oil out of them. It's ridiculous. Okay, so I think it's it's a good time to to make this evolutionary step and to move into algae cultivation. There's a huge benefit in this to the environment, but also to to you. Okay, the source is clean and transparent, and I think it it it's a win-win situation. I was asked a question on another podcast I guessed it on just yesterday called Whole, Whole Earth Radio with Rob Seaman. He asked me, "Is fish sustainable?" And for me, I, I found the question hard to answer for a couple of reasons. For one, I spent a decade building a fish oil company, and I have what I would call myself today is probably a, re a reluctant omnivore, simply because I can't erase the knowledge that I have about the health of our oceans. And when I think about the fact that we've had a massive die-off, not only of biodiversity on land, but also in our seas then I start to think about something as simple as getting all of your omega-3s or trying to get all of your omega-3s from the ocean as inherently problematic. So before you began working to scale these operations at Baxa Technologies and, and show that we could actually produce algae in both a sustainable way and growing it for specific nutrients and making sure that it would be as pristine as possible, and also scalable without damaging marine ecosystems, without furthering the problems of overfishing and things along those lines, you were growing algae in open ponds. So I'd like to talk for a moment about what the differences are in these technologies and why perhaps you would shift from a more agricultural approach to growing algae to one that uses the benefits of technology. We've built and operated the largest open pond production system in the world to learn a couple of interesting things. First of all, the motivation behind it was it looks simple and cost-effective, right? Just a, a pond with a, with a paddle, and what can be more simple than that? And of course, you want to have a cost-effective product, so it was the major motivation. What we learned along the years is a very problematic value proposition. I'll mention a few of the topics. One of them is biocontamination, right? If you have an open system, and these are large-scale, huge ponds, you can never control the, the microbiological, microbiological population. 
Okay, the, the wind blows, uh, you know, algae and microbes, the uh, bird flies over and drops something, wild boar jumps in the water. Okay? You can never really control your population. More than that, there's a natural sedimentation. The flow in an open pond is, is a laminar flow. It's, it's a very slow flow, and the algae are a bit heavier than the water. So over time, they kind of settle to the bottom. You don't see it from the outside. From the outside, it looks green and beautiful. Only when you empty the pond, you see this layer of disgusting, like rotten algae on the bottom, okay? And a lot of the weird algae taste that we feel when we kind of try algae-based product is basically that taste. So the organoleptic properties were not that amazing. In addition, because you're a farmer, actually, you have a seasonality issues. So the, if omega-3 is your product, uh, you might have a 3 to 4x difference in the composition of omega-3 in your algae. It depends if it's winter, if it's summer, if it's a hot day, if it's a cold day. It's very hard to, to have a, like a, a real industry-based solution when, when you're all over the place. And then I would say the last nail in this coffin was the techno-economical equation. So remember, we're growing algae not for the sake of biomass. We're growing them for a specific nutrient in them, which is omega-3. So you have to extract the omega-3 out. The algae itself is not bioavailable. You have to take the oil piece out of it. So if you want to get to marketable concentration of omega-3, if your concentration is very low to start with, you have to go through four to five extraction and concentration steps. Each one of those is a cost center. Each one of those has, has yields, so you're losing some of the oil in the way. In the end of the day, it's a very expensive proposition for an omega-3. In the case of Vaxa, for example, you control all growth conditions the composition of the omega-3 in the algae is super high. It's an order of magnitude higher than the pond. So then you don't need all these million extraction steps. One extraction step with a grass uh, solvent is enough to get perfect, basically, oil composition without these uh, these losses along the way. So in, in, the, in the end of the day, it looks like a cheap algae production platform in an open pond, which it might be, but not a real... Uh, omega-3 production uh, platform. You're speaking to some of my knowledge, which also comes from background in fish oil. And you, you see some of the same problems there, right? You you harness the fish from the ocean. You have to separate the fish body from the oil. You then have to refine it to remove toxins that are inborn and, and present in our oceans and that the fish bioaccumulate along with the omega-3s that they're getting from the algae they consume, right? And so that's an expensive process. And then they that oil is, you know, lower potency. So they then work to concentrate that. And in this whole concentration process to get an omega-3 that is ready for the shelf in the market, you're going through several steps. You're also breaking bonds so that the oil could move from its more natural form to a less natural one. And then you have to go through an additional enzymatic process to put it back in a more natural form. But even so, you end up with a, let's say, a re-esterified triglyceride is the nomenclature. I know it sounds all tech, but it is. It's tech. No, no, it is. It is. It, it basically, I can sum it up. It's processed food, Corina. Okay. It's just processed food versus a whole food. So what we're trying to do, we're just taking all the oil components out, of, and that's it. It's a basket of nutrition. The reason there's no toxic elements in it, because algae are not cultivated in any toxic environment. They're cultivated in pristine Icelandic water. So you don't have to, to take out the toxic. It's a whole different mindset. 
okay, if your starting point is natural and clean and healthy, you don't have to, to go through, you know, down this road of altering the chemical composition and, and processing your food. It reminds me of a National Geographic uh, article that uh, was talking about a fish they caught uh, off the shores of New York and they analyzed it for drugs, actually, for pharmaceuticals. Basically, the outcome was if you have a headache, don't uh, you don't have to buy Tylenol, just eat the fish. Tylenol is, is, is included. And if you don't be pregnant, you don't have to buy the pills, just eat a fish. It, it has everything. It has psychiatric drugs, everything in, because the fish is like a sponge. It just ac accumulates whatever's in the water. And some of it is not something you want to eat. Well, if you think about it, like we, as a being here on the planet, we breathe air and we ingest in a way the pollutants that are present in the air and we bioaccumulate those. Fish breathe the water through their gills, and so they bioaccumulate things that even just come in through their gills, much the way we would in our lungs, because those organs are developed to absorb oxygen from, from the water or from the atmosphere, and along with that, we get the junk that comes with it, and it's just, it's no real surprise that is alarming, Correct. It's just a mirror. It's just a mirror of the ocean situation. It, it's a mirror that enhances the 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 situation in the oceans. But this is it. What you see is kind of a magnifying glass of the water quality in the oceans. Now, if we were, let's say, growing algae in open ponds, we would be subject to some of the same challenges you mentioned earlier. Other infiltration of other algae species, pollutants that are present in rainwater and in the air itself. And then even for something like, let's say, um, using feeding the algae CO2, you bubble things into an open pond, a lot of it escapes into the air, right? So it's not going to be a one-to-one -one going to make that CO2 into oxygen. Correct. And actually, you make a very important point, Corinna. Algae can only digest a dissolved CO2. If you bubble gases into water, it's all about the residence time. How much time is the gas spending in the water in order to be dissolved in the water? And in an open pond, which is about, what, 20, 30 centimeters deep, there's not enough residence time of the gas in the water to have significant dissolution. So you're right. Most of the CO2 you bubble in just goes out. So there's no real benefit in terms of carbon uptake. So when we talk about something like the oils that we're using from Baxa Technologies and Orlo Nutrition's products and making a claim to them actually having a carbon neutral or carbon negative profile, this helps to explain some of that because it's a closed system, because we're bubbling the CO2 through, because the CO2 stays within that arena and isn't necessarily just escaping into the atmosphere. Now, I understand recently a study out of the University of Cambridge was published in the journal Marine Biotechnology that showcases the carbon neutrality or even carbon negativity of specifically Vaxa Technologies plant in Iceland, growing algae for human nutrition and also for fish, aquaculture. So I'd love for you to talk to me about this peer-reviewed study. What does it say about the future and about scaling this type of operation? So first of all, it was a really interesting study. It was done, as you mentioned, by Cambridge University with the Matisse, the Icelandic Food Research Institute, and DTI, the Danish Food Research Institute. They did something called life cycle analysis. They measured the, the total carbon footprint of, of the VAXA facility in Iceland. And because we're using geothermal energy as an energy source 
which is very light on its carbon uh, footprint. And because we are recycling the natural carbon emissions uh, in, in an efficient way to kind of milk the carbon out of the gas phase over and over again, the bottom line was that this is a carbon negative operation. Uh, Corinna, I don't know of any agricultural activity that's carbon negative. It was a big surprise for me, a happy surprise, but uh, it was fascinating to see that. It really made uh, us all feel that we made the right choice of cultivating algae in a, a integration with the geothermal power plant in Iceland. What it means is two big things, okay? One big thing is, is the life cycle analysis. The second one is a nutritional equivalence that they did to the algae strains we cultivate in Iceland to beef. Okay, so, so I'll mention what beef means. Beef is not something that looks like meat, Corinna. I can make plastic look like meat. It's not meat. Meat is mainly three nutritional, has many three nutritional values that are hard to replace with other uh, 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 nutritional ingredients. One of them is essential amino acids. These are the protein building blocks that our body cannot synthesize on its own. You have to have it from an external source. The second one is uh, iron, bioavailable iron an iron that your body can really absorb. Lack of iron could lead to anemia and tiredness and, and a lot of things you don't experience. Beef is a wonderful source for bioavailable iron. And the third is, is vitamin B12, a bioavailable form of vitamin B12. So if you're going to cut dramatically on your meat, these are the three things you're going to be lacking. So they looked at those three things and the algae we cultivate. They then concluded that there's a nutritional equivalence. Now, why it's such a big deal? Because every ton of beef is associated with 100 tons of CO2 emissions. I repeat the number because the number is amazing. Every ton of beef is associated with 100 tons of CO2 emissions. Every ton. It's a 100x ratio between beef and CO2 emissions. The reason is the gases that the cow releases and the energy, mainly the energy associated with the feed production of the cow. Okay, so you put both of them together, that's the math. So let's say for being conservative that the algae production in Iceland is carbon neutral. If you can replace beef with that algae for every ton of algae, that's equivalent to one ton of beef. You just saved 100 tons of CO2 going to the atmosphere. I want to talk for a moment about why it's so imperative that we talk about the vitamin B12 and iron, specifically because so many vegans are also deficient in these core nutrients because the iron present in things like beets can be hard to assimilate into your body. So when you talk about the bioavailability of the iron or the bioavailability of the vitamin B12, Vegans are notoriously low in these particular nutrients. And so it becomes very, very challenging to find those sources from a natural, bioidentical source that your body can easily assimilate. The vitamin B12 that, as in most vitamins out there, is synthetic. And there are some people who have a hard time assimilating that vitamin B12 for that reason. So, so let's talk about these particular micronutrients that are vital for things like your bone health, your immune system health, antioxidative power. Yes, I want, I want to know more. One of my daughters was vegetarian for over 15 years. And when the doctor saw her iron levels and B12 levels, he was surprised she's still alive. It was so low. 
and she was tired most of the time and her hair situation was not that great. And so, so I experienced this, this phenomena at home. The issue is, as you said, beef is a great source for those bioavailable iron and B12. It's not that all of them are the same, okay? But an interesting study shows that iron from spirulina is 6.5 times more bioavailable than iron from beef. And now comes the big news, okay? In regular spirulina, spirulina that's cultivated using sunlight, the B12 is not bioavailable. It's even called pseudo-B12. It actually absorbs to your, to your receptors of B12 in the body, but it doesn't function as B12. It, it's more damage than health, okay? Nevertheless, in the spirulina cultivated in Iceland with controlled light, and I, I wish I can tell you why that's the case, but it's just the way that the plant metabolism creates B12. The B12 form of the spirulina is something called methylcobalamin. Methylcobalamin is the most bioavailable form of B12 in nature. Okay, so on both of those levels, we have an excellent source and it's unique to the cultivation method in Iceland. Okay, so only the spirulina from Iceland could call for this equivalence uh, to beef. Uh, it's very unusual. Uh, it was surprising to us as well. But it's not the first time that we've seen that. You cultivate algae in different light conditions. The algae activate different metabolic pathways, and then they create different molecules that they do not create when they're exposed to solar light. Okay, we've seen that with other anti-inflammatory things that algae can produce, and it's all based on unique growth conditions. But the good news is if, you know, in Iceland, we control those growth conditions. It's not a theoretical knowledge. So we know which light combination, which light intensity, which light and dark cycles, which temperature, and then we apply it. Okay, so it's an applied knowledge. If you had this knowledge and you have an open pond, what are you going to do with this knowledge? Nothing. There's no way to apply it. So controllability gives, gives not only the confidence of composition, gives a new kind of, of molecules produced by the algae. Uh, and as you know, Spirina is approved for human consumption. There's no regulatory barrier. In our case, it doesn't even stink. I, I described before what happened in an open pond when some of the algae settle. It, then a lot of people call, you know, they talk about Spirina as they close their nose and say Spirina. <laughs> just because it kind of it stinks a little bit, so none of that. And and we've made an experiment. We we had a yogurt uh, enriched with the spirulina, enough to trigger claims of uh, source of B12 and source of iron on the on the yogurt, and we gave people to try it with closed eyes, and they couldn't feel the difference of which is which. The fact that you're gonna eat a nutritional food doesn't mean that you have to suffer. Okay, uh, it's actually the opposite. It's a pleasant user experience. To your point, I had some early samples of some of the concentrate from our spirulina, and I was able to make a blue frosting for my kids' cupcakes. And they loved it. And they had no flavor of spirulina. They were just this kind of periwinkle blue. And I'm sure I used enough to get to some of those claims as well. But this is something we're also now using in our immunity boost product at Orlo for the immune enhancing benefits of this particular spirulina, this ultra spirulina as we call it, with vitamin D3 and an aqueous solution so it's more bioavailable, and also a smattering of B vitamins, including that vitamin B12 methylcopalamin. And so, you know, when I look at a formulation like this, I think about two things. One, people 
need some protection for their immune system. It's nice to give it in the mouth. You just spray a couple of sprays of the immunity boost, just like this, and you're done. It's bright blue, which is kind of surprising in a way because people who have grown up perhaps um, using spirulina in their smoothies are used to it having kind of a green color. So why do you think this difference is exists specifically in our spirulina or in that produced Advaxa technologies and used in the Orlo product? Actually, controlling the growth conditions, mainly light conditions, as I mentioned before, they, they trigger different metabolic pathways. And the algae that we cultivate in Iceland has an extreme amount of blue uh, antioxidant, which is called uh, phycocyanin. It's allowed to be used as uh, as food colorant, by the way, so there's nothing bad about it. It's FDA approved. But uh, yeah, it, it's very rich in, and this presence is very interesting. So you know, I gave a talk the other day and I ended my talk at, uh, I told them, listen, the user experience is very important. And I had a, a glass of milk with a spirulina, so it looked very, it looked like a, like a sky blue paint or something. And I said, you, you must be wondering how this tastes like. So you're all invited to, to taste it. And they, I had little cups of, you know, like different things. And people just could not believe because when it's blue, it's kind of almost like unnatural. You're not used to eating blue food. So your mouth is looking for this weird taste. You're expecting something weird, but there is none. It's a typical face of what's going on. Oh my God. You're like I've seen this face a million times of like the surprise that it, as it actually has no taste. So as you talk to me specifically about this ultra spirulina, how is it that this particular strain or, or what we're able to grow in this photobioreactor, feeding it only the light that it wants and needs to thrive, the nutrients that it needs, the CO2 and all of this carbon negative process, how is it different in its immune enhancing support benefit to other spirulina that might be out there? I would tell you that generally speaking, in, in the algae technology world or, or, or algae biology world, what we know is the tip of the iceberg. In many cases, it's like a black box. We know how we change the growth conditions and we know the outcome. We, we honestly don't know exactly which metabolic pathways are switched on and off. A closed system with controlled environment gives you the opportunity for this learning curve. It's a multidimensional world of optimization Corinna. So it's not like, for example, you, you, you have a certain amount of light, light composition, light intensity, temperature, and then you play with the pH. And then you find an interesting pH that gives you interesting composition and growth rate. Now you want to measure the light, it's only true in this pH. If you want to, okay, so, so the multidimensional optimization is it can drive a normal person crazy. So we're fortunate to have a very advanced technology that allows us to do that. And we it's a black box approach. We just make some changes and we measure the output. And sometimes it's nonlinear. You just made a little change and the reaction is dramatic. So what we did, we got a, a European Union grant to look for anti-inflammatory activity. And again, always we compare it to open pond uh, spirulina. That's our, our, our control group. And we have found a set of cultivation conditions that exhibit an enormous anti-inflammatory uh, activity. And actually, it was in a very small dosage. So the, the, the idea to make a spray out of it, you can only get very small dosage through the mouth. It's a very efficient way of getting 
things into your bloodstream. You don't have to go through the digestion system. But it's only true if you need a very small amount of active ingredient. You cannot eat a steak through your you know, under the tongue, right? <laughs> so because that was the founding, because we found that actually the optimal activity, anti-inflammatory activity was actually very small dosage, that triggered the idea to use an oral spray as a vehicle to introduce it to your body. Well, I personally have used it every day. And now my kids also come to me in my office and ask for some because that's where I keep it. If I kept it upstairs, I think they just drink it, frankly. <laughs> but as it's as a friend use experience, you're doing something good to your body, you're strengthening your immune system, but you don't suffer doing this. That's the right. point. It's not something exactly. weird or disgusting at all. A running theme through our conversation thus far has been about how some of the nutrients that we're seeing in algae strains grown using the unique technology of VAXA and being able to really hyper-control the environment yields ultimately an end product that is much more bioavailable, more absorbable, and that you therefore might need less of to get the benefit. So I'd like to take that lens and look a little bit more closely at what we're doing in the space of omega-3s. Now, we've discussed this a couple of times on the show, talking about how polar lipids specifically are more bioavailable than other types of nonpolar oils that are so widespread across the United States. And, and really, most of the people who consume omega-3s take fish oil or algae sources that are nonpolar, typically triglyceride, ethyl ester, or even free fatty acids. So tell us a little bit more about what the science shows and also connect to how that we're able to preserve that polar lipid form in extraction since they seem to not be able to do that from fish oil or other algae sources. Correct. So first of all, you're absolutely right. The bioavailability is the name of the game. I would even give an extreme example of that. Some algae cells are completely non-digestible. People call them anti-nutrients. Why anti-nutrients? Because not only they do not absorb, they actually they, they absorb nutrients from your digestion system on the way out. So not only not contributing, actually stripping you off from from. So so bioavailability is the key to everything we do in supplementation. I totally agree, and you can see that with vitamins, with with calcium, in many 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 examples. And many times the same active ingredient exists in many forms, but there's a very big difference in bioavailability between those forms. If you think about oil and water, most people will tell you oil and water separate, which is very true in the case of fish oil or algae oil. Polar lipids, though, are different. Polar lipids, once introduced to water, they create like small, tiny droplets. They keep the suspension. So there's no two layers you can see. It's actually one kind of cloudy uh, mix. And why is that important? Because in the end, think about the stomach. And think about a glass of water representing your stomach, and, and you add some water in it. And if the if the oil floats on top, that's where you get the fishy burps. And most people stop using omega-3s because of this user experience. You end up uh, having no friends because of the fishy burps. So it's kind of not a funny topic, actually. Uh, you want people to have good user experience. And uh, so no fishy burps. And you want to swallow something swallowable. 
Okay, you don't want to swallow an elephant every morning. Um, an efficient dosage helps. So in the case of, of that specific algae we chose, the natural way that this specific algae, it's called nanocoropsis, is producing its omega-3s is in a polar lipid form. And actually, a polar lipid could be two different groups. They could, the polar group could be either sugar-based or could be phosphorus-based, okay? So this algae has both. We had to develop a whole new analytical system to measure it because you cannot find it anywhere else in nature. So there was a huge analytical effort even to be able to measure those molecules. And then their bioavailability was a question mark because those molecules, especially the sugar-based polar lipids, were never tested clinically. So it was a very good question, would they enhance absorption or not? So the good news is that they are. It was measured in Germany and uh, in, in, in third party. It was measuring blood levels, uh, omega-3 blood levels in, in, in healthy volunteers. And we could see the high bioavailability. Uh, I would say the unusually high bioavailability. And the, the key was to preserve the natural structure while you extract. So many times if you use hexane or any other solvents. They're not only a bit toxic or you need to remove them completely from the final product. So they're not on a grass list, okay? A grass means it has no toxicity levels at all. They do not preserve the polarity. So actually the extraction step kind of hurts the quality of your product. So we've put a big effort in trying to see what kind of solvent we could use to take the oils out of the algae. And we found that ethanol is a very efficient way to do that and it preserves the natural form of polar lipids, okay? And you can clearly see it again when you mix it with water, the, you know, the, the cloudiness. And then you measure blood levels. It's definitely working. You can see the big difference. Uh, I would say the next step that we're embarking onto is actually a clinical study that measuring, that's measuring uh, something called omega-3 index. The difference between omega-3 index and just the blood uh, level is omega-3 index is measuring the omega-3s on the membrane of the blood cells. So it's an indication of tissue absorption, not only of blood levels, because bioavailability means two things, is how it, you know, how the active ingredient go from your digestion system to your blood, that's number one, and then how it goes from your bloodstream to the organs of interest, that's a second step. So omega-3 index kind of captures both. It's a good indication for both. And we want to be able to, and again, it's easy to measure, you need one drop of blood, you don't need to like a, you know, you can use a, an easy system to measure it. And you can see how your omega-3 index improves on your, yourself. So it gives you a lot of control. And I'm an engineer, so I like numbers. So this is a measurable improvement that you could, you could do and see how your situation improves yourself. Okay, so we really like, uh, like this idea. And we're in the process of getting this um, up and running clinical study. By the way, the clinical study is going to measure another thing, which is uh, sexual health in both men and women, which is a bit unusual, so I have to explain. Uh, with men, it's more intuitive because, uh, you know, omega-3 has a, a slight blood thinning effect and it might help with that. But uh, one of the studies, especially with EPA levels, showed a very uh, strong anti-depression um, anti activity, so mood improvement, okay? And I think that, uh, you know, sex your sexual health is a mirror of your physical and mental health. If you're aching in any of both, I don't think your sex life is great, okay? So I think this is a very nice way to improve both a little, 
and then um, help people enjoy life in all dimensions. So it's interesting. It's the same study, by the way. We're going to measure omega-3 index and your sex health, and we'll see. Well, I know, too, that omega-3s are positively associated with better sperm count in men. Honestly, it seems to be positively correlated with fertility in both men and women from research that's been going on for decades. So it would make sense to me that it also would have an effect of impacting your um, your life in another way, perhaps from that pleasure center. So it's fantastic. So if I'm hearing you correctly, really then because polar lipids are so much more absorbable and they get into our tissues better, so into those blood cell walls, it's not really that surprising to me when you tell me something like glycolipids could be even more absorbable because humans are really good at absorbing sugar and fat. Correct. <laughs> one thing yes, that you're we're right. very good at, right? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, definitely. So it seems like it's further just kind of deepening our understanding of how our metabolic systems work. And if we're able to turn this on and get more of those omega-3s into our cell walls, we also need to think about this axis that I just investigated in another episode with Melanie Plourd, who was investigating your lipid to brain and liver connection. So essentially understanding that when you absorb an omega-3, and if you have better absorption of it and it's actually able to get to the tissues in your brain, that there seems to be a connection long-term with other sorts of late-stage diseases like um, Alzheimer's and dementia and the development of these diseases because we might have had inborn insufficiency for a long, long time. And then you're not getting enough of these nutrients. Half the fat in your brain and eyes is made up of DHA. If you're able to absorb these nutrients and get them to the right place, be it the EPA or the DHA, then it seems that it would follow that your chances of developing these diseases that seem to be on the rise in our current world, that they, they are, that these two stories seem to be connected is I think what I'm getting to. Why might that be? Like, Why might we be facing this situation? Look, it's all about balanced nutrition. And I think what happened in the last you know, 100 years, we're, we're eating more and more processed foods, especially in the West. So what we see, I think, in a lot of these uh, cases, it's just, a, again, a mirror of nutrition that's not balanced. And it's taking its toll. It's building up. Those deficiencies are being built up over time. And it's a very delicate system. So I think that's what we see. So I think if you look at the, you think about Mediterranean diet and people living longer and better quality of life, there is a connection between nutrition and health. It's well established. The more you go into something that's consistent quality, something that is more clean with less toxic things in it, something that's closer to the source, the better you're off. Uh, basically, the key to health is not uh, swallowing a lot of drugs every day. I don't think that's a good way. I think effective, balanced nutrition is a wonderful way to go. And again, the, one of the reasons I'm so excited about this polar lipids is it's enabled people to bring omega-3 to their lives because they don't need to swallow an elephant and they don't have a fishy burp. So it could become, it could become part of their life. They don't have to suffer doing so. Okay. So, so again, 
the user experience is very important. I don't think people should suffer for for a, for, for a balanced nutrition. I, I completely agree. So I'm just holding up for the camera two soft gels. These are 500 milligrams each. They're very small. They're not the honkin fish oil pills that you're used to. And in the omega-3 formula, you get a balance of two the two EPA and DHA. It's a direct source of those two things in the polar lipid form. And ultimately, this would be equivalent to taking two fairly concentrated, high-potency fish oil large pills. I'm wondering, personally, how much do you take every day? Yeah, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you my, how I do the math, okay? There's no official recommended uh, allowance for, for EPN DHA. You know, different health organizations kind of give you what they think uh, would be necessary to maintain a, a, an overall health. And the numbers vary between 250 to 750 uh, of omega-3 and DHA per day. That's the that's kind of the range. So because pololipids, and in our case, the unique pololipids in nanocoropsis, they give us about a 3x uh, advantage over fish oil. So what I do is I take a total of 250 milligrams a day. So it puts me, you know, the multiplication by three puts me in a very good in a very good place in in this range. So if you take two fifty, which is equivalent to a fish base seven fifty, you're kind of well within, and it's basically two pills a day, not a big deal. They're small, and uh, that's what I do. For the rest of the audience here, I'll share what I take because I've been in the omega three space for a long, long time. And I am presently taking our DHA formula, but for two reasons. Um, it delivers slightly more combined EPA and DHA, but I also am of the APOE4 genome type. I have one representation of APOE4. And having one representation of APOE4, you're at increased risk for dementia, Alzheimer's disease, and all of these other brain health specific challenges that you could run into later in life. And through my conversation with Melanie Pluard, that researcher from the Université de Sherbrooke in Quebec, Canada, she shared with me offline, the research that she's doing is actually sharing that people that are of the APOE4 genome type may actually have a harder time assimilating the omega-3s into their brain tissues, and that that could be one of the reasons that those that are in this APOE4 allele that have that representation, one or two, I only have one, so I'm at lesser risk. So therefore, I have said, I need to double down on my DHA. And so I take two of that every day, which delivers 350 milligrams of combined EPA and DHA, putting me over about that one gram EPA DHA combined, but also understanding that because I have this particular allele representation, I'm at an increased risk for these later diseases you know, that are related to brain health. So I think it's really important as we as we look at our own health in the day-to-day, -day, most people are going to benefit from 250 milligrams of a polar lipid form, EPA, DHA combined, this kind of balance. So it supports their heart health, their joint health, their pain receptors, their mood health, and also their brain health, like really hits all of, checks all of these boxes. And other individuals might want to front load more that DHA <laughs> specifically for the types of challenges I, I just shared. The numbers I mentioned before, the 250 to 750, this is kind of a general health. It, it, it's for no, like, so if you have a particular reason, for example, high cholesterol or, or other things you really want to be more uh, aggressive on, on, on management, then you, you might increase the dose. I totally agree. It makes a lot of sense to me, Corina.
Yeah. And the other piece that I like to recommend to people too, is to look at your whole diet because to your earlier point, we've fallen out of balance. We have so much omega-6 in our diets that we, we aren't aware. If we think things like, oh, well, I don't eat fried food and I'm not eating a lot of red meat, so I'm not getting a ton of omega-6. Well, look at your salad dressing. Most salad dressings that are offered in the marketplace are They might even say olive oil on the front or avocado oil, but in the ingredients list, along with things like high fructose corn syrup, you might also see corn oil, safflower oil, soybean oil, canola oil, all of which are very high in omega-6 and completely depleted of omega-3s. They do that actually to ensure their shelf stability. So the message that I like to send home to people is if you're looking to get all of the benefits of your omega-3 supplement, I mean, it's great as an additive tool, but if you also look at your consumption of omega-6s and work to bring that down, you're going to realize the benefit much, much more quickly. I totally agree. And actually, I had a long conversation with a medical researcher, and he claims that this ratio of omega-6 to omega-3, which changed dramatically in the last 50 years in our our diet, which is actually inflammatory, kind of brings our... That's behind a lot of the things we see in in human health. A lot of the challenges are a higher uh, inflammatory level. The key is the omega-3 to omega-6 ratio and bringing this to, to a good place. So it's not only increasing the omega-3, it's reducing the omega-6. I totally agree. 100%. Wow. Well, Isaac, I have to say, this has been such an interesting conversation. I love digging into the science with you. So I want to, for a moment, offer you the floor as you can share a little bit about what you think is coming next. Is it algae cultivation in space? Are we living on the moon or Mars and space stations? Right, right. So actually, if you think about algae in space, it's not such a bad idea because it's, again, it's a very efficient way to create oxygen and food for people in kind of a far away, you know, small systems and, and you have to be very efficient in, in your resources, etc. But I think we can really learn a lot of, about life on this planet. That's what happened to me. This accelerated my thought about trying to deal with issues on, on, on this planet. One of the biggest changes I I hope to see coming is that algae would be more and more part of our food, food stuff, not only supplementation. So algae is an ingredient could be, uh, you know, your pizza dough should could be uh, with some algae ingredient in it, and your your uh, rice could be blue, right? Or an, uh, from from blue spirulina, and it, you can have amazing food experiences, and you can bring uh, nutrition through your enrich your nutrition with algae components. I think that could be interesting and 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 a cool experience. I think we need to rethink about the way we produce food. As I mentioned before, Corinna, I think we just got used to living like pigs. I don't think we can continue uh, producing our, our, our food stuff the way we did in the last you know, few hundred years. But as humans, we are, we're kind of used to ev- evolutionary steps, right? So you know, we, we've made one revolution you know, going from hunter-gatherers to farmers. Uh, in the aquaculture, by the way, this whole evolution happened in the last 50 years. 50 years ago, most of the fish were caught wild, and now most of the fish are cultivated, so so in a short period of time. I mean, even tuna, and people don't know that. Yeah, even tuna. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of the fish on our plates, the majority are cultivated in aquaculture. So, uh, so I think it's time to take the next step and think about how we convert clean energy and uh, to, to cool nutrition foods in a very efficient environmental way. So 
it's just one more step and uh, you know when when especially we talk to the young generation that they've seen you know the internet revolution and like changing things is like not They don't they're not afraid of this they're not bound by you know traditional food necessarily they're happily jumping on a blue yogurt and they think it's cool so I have a lot of hope actually uh, regarding the acceptance of these kind of weird foods on our plate well there are many people working on the fringes to do just that I just returned not too long ago from natural products Expo East in Philadelphia and there was an entire panel on using seaweed and foods for The founder of Atlantic Seaweed Farms, Bree, had taken the stage and she said in the next few years she could see a future where, you know, all 16 aisles of a standard size grocery store would contain products on the shelf that had some form of algae in them. And be it something like spirulina or even seaweed and uh, seaweed as a component of a burger or a chip instead of your traditional, you know, corn chips that you might get with your dinner. which are super high in omega-6s and things along those lines, so that we're, we're getting to more novel food approaches. And I, I think that it's interesting to see there's been so much work on kind of cultivating new meat types that are perhaps fermented or out of even from thin air. There's a company called Air Protein, as for example, that's off in Walnut Creek trying to create, well, proteins from... <laughs> thin hair using microbe technology to remember Corinna what we said in the beginning all we eat is light photos whatever however you want to turn it around okay in the end of the day it's converting light into food light into energy yeah it's light energy into chemical energy it's an energy balance you know you can you can do fermentation and think oh cool we're converting sugar into whatever really but how did you create sugar you Yeah, the sugar came from light exactly so no matter how you turn it around the end of the day it's an energy balance we need to be very efficient in the energy balance we're you know the usage of energy the uses of fresh water of land these are finite resources and I think the world is just tr- starting to understand how finite these resources really are Wow well I can't wait for the day that we are able to replace my standard protein shake with something from algae because that's something I would jump on as the well I'm a bit into this whole algae space let's just say now I do want to make sure that I offer you the opportunity to share any closing thoughts before we wrap up today we're sitting in a very interesting time now. Because I think the world is ready for a change. I think people understand that you know the food plate is going to be different 30 years from now and people understand the connection between food and health and uh, people want to know where the foods are coming from and they you know there's no uh, you know like black curtain that the foods are made behind. they want to actually open the curtain and see. It's a very good time to bring something to the table literally, which is uh, on one hand a uh, Of high nutrition value but on the other hand sustainable I think especially the young generation for them it's like a must I don't want you, you can't even start the discussion about nutrition value if it's been created in extremely unsustainable way so actually I think we're fortunate to be in this time I think 30 years ago people would not even understand what you're talking about so we're fortunate to be here and to to be able to bring this thing forward and to see these things accepted great times. 
What a treat. Now, as discussed, I will be sure to include links to everything that we shared today with show notes, including that research from the University of Cambridge. I encourage everyone here to go on and check out Baxa.life. That is the parent company for Orlo Nutrition. You can review directly on the site the photobioreactor that is ultimately growing the algae that we discussed today, specifically in Iceland with a net neutral carbon neutrality, even carbon negativity that has been third party demonstrated through that research with University of Cambridge. I encourage you to also to follow us in social media at Orlo Nutrition because we are going to be showcasing some behind the scenes peeks into the life of the scientists working there in Iceland to really create this new area of human and animal nutrition and be a part of the change that we all seek to build in this particular arena, feeding humanity and doing so while also helping to preserve our climate. While you're checking the show notes out, I encourage you to subscribe to the show on whatever your favorite platform is and tap on that five-star rating. This will help more listeners discover the show so that people can enjoy the knowledge that we're sharing here and with it, improve their health too. Thank you so much for joining me today. And one more note, if you're curious about the immunity boost with ultra spirulina and also the omega-3s, while you're visiting orlonutrition.com, you can qualify for an extra 10% off your cart checkout on your first order. Just use the coupon code NWC10 at checkout and you'll receive that additional 10% off. We're presently running a holiday bundle as well, which will enable you to get our omega-3 DHA or prenatal DHA along with the immunity boost at a dramatically reduced 27% off. So it's a great time to try. You'll also receive free shipping on that order. And who knows, you could even give that gift of a healthy treat this holiday season. As I close today's episode, I hope that you'll raise a cup with me as I say my parting words. Here's to your health. Thanks for listening to Nutrition Without Compromise. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more, visit orlonutrition.com and join our mailing list. You'll gain access to complete show notes, features, and informative blogs because nutrition shouldn't be an either or. 